Welcome to the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. Here, we shine a positive light on fathers of color and seek out their stories of trial and triumph while gaining insight on what it means to raise children in this country we call America. A quote from Dr. Franklin Pittman states, Fathering is not something perfect men do, but something that perfects the man. And now, your illustrious host, Lim Gonzalez. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint. And this is the Colors of Fatherhood podcast. So I'm really excited. Have an amazing guest, as I always have. He is a trainer for emotional intelligence. He's the facilitator for Dads Uplifting Dads support group. And of course, he's on this podcast because he's an amazing father. Ladies and gentlemen, David Lewis. What's up, my man? Not much, my brother. Absolutely happy to be here. <laughs> I'm happy to have you. We were talking, of course, uh, offline and Absolutely, just yes. really uh, just talking about, you know, obviously, fatherhood. And uh, you were talking about, I'm, I can't wait to talk about uh, the facilitator, um, your position for Dads okay. Uplifting Dads, because I think that super, super important. It obviously says it in the title. You were referred, we were talking about uh, about my boy Shaka, Shaka Campbell, who is your cousin, correct? Absolutely. He is. He yes, is. Yes. And he was on this podcast and we had a an amazing interview uh, talking about fatherhood. So I know that we're in good hands and this is going to be amazing. Yes. That's all yes, I'm saying. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. David, first question I typically ask all of my guests on this podcast is, number one, how did your life change when you first became a father? As I'm sure most brothers have said, you know, you wake up one day, my wife and I were married for 10 years before we even thought about it. I'm from a small city that many of you may not have heard of called Chicago. Mm. And I remember going home to Chicago, you know, I went to school downstate in Illinois, I'd go home to Chicago. And it was really funny because we had been married about maybe four or five years and mm -hmm. we were home for a holiday. And one of my homeboys who was friends with my younger brother, he was like, man, Dave, how you doing? You looking good. Uh, man, you know, you've been married, man. You're doing the thing. He goes, how many shorties do you have? And I looked at him and I was like, I was like, I was like, man, I'm like, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't have any. And it's this, this, this brother, now mind you, he was younger than me. And at the time he had probably four or five with probably four or five different women. Oh, and, okay. And, 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 and his whole concept of who and where you were was the number of shorties you had. Mm. And I remember looking at him and I was like, man, I don't have any. And I'll never forget his comment. He looked at me and he was like, Man, I'm sorry, man. I know, I know a good doctor. His assumption was that as a black man, if you did not have children, regardless of whether you were taking care of them or not, that's how he defined manhood. And that I'll never forget that experience wow. because it, it struck me as wow. Okay, I've been married five years. We mm -hmm. were double income, no kids, and just hadn't got around to it. I had just started my consulting career mm -hmm. and we, you know, my wife's a professional in the insurance industry. We just hadn't thought about it. And so after that, we, you know, I remember joking with her and then we were like, okay, well, we'll wait till the time's right. Well, mm -hmm. we were married 10 years, 
10 years. And, and finally, one day we were like, you know, I think we better do this. And so, <laughs> and so she was like, well, yeah, okay. And bam, God bless us. We have this child. And let me tell you, the minute that child comes into the world, everything about you changes because it's no longer about you. Just the way you drive. I remember leaving the hospital and I'm sure I am not the first, nor will I be the last father to tell you, you leave the hospital and you start, you know, you're going 35 and a 40 and right. you're looking at folks who were doing the speed limit and you're like, dude, you need to slow down. And they look at you like, man, what's up? And so every, you know, everything changes. Your your perception, your your concept of life changes. And let me tell you something, that whole piece of being a father, for me personally, mm -hmm. it was methodical. And, and let me tell you why. Hmm. I, as a speaker, and, 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 and you can relate, anybody that's done any training, we talk about personal investment in self and emotional and speaking positivity and bringing into the world. I was in Vegas in 1999. I'm doing a, uh, doing a workshop in Vegas and it was about goal setting and materializing goals. And I wrote a hundred things down on a, on a sheet of paper. And these were a hundred goals that I wanted to accomplish with my life. And one of those goals were to be a father, hmm. be a father to a healthy child. I okay. believe it was number 22. I'm in my office and I'm pretty sure I know exactly where that I'm looking around. I'm pretty sure I know where that that hundred page thing is because I've always kept it. And and I put a date on it. Mm -hmm. And the date, I'll never forget the date. The date was uh, February 28th, 2001. And I just, just picked a date. It was yeah. no, nothing special about that date and didn't even tell my wife. Now, if you're not a father and you plan on having children, uh, that's not the way to go about it. You probably want to share with her what your plans are. Right. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, right. you know, wrote it down. And that boy came into the world on January 28th, 2001, exactly one month to the date written. And you know, that's biblical, write down your dreams. Yeah. And, and I had read a book, Lou Holtz, the legendary football coach in Notre Dame, and that, they asked him his key to success. That's what he did. He mm. wrote down a hundred, a hundred things that he wanted to accomplish in life. Being mm -hmm. an overachiever, I wrote down 101. And number 22 on that list was becoming a healthy father, becoming a father to a healthy child. Mm. So when God blessed me with the request of my heart, man, my gift to his gift to me was, was him. My gift to him was what I did in raising him. Right. So from day one, it became like, dude, this is who you are. This is what you do. This is your legacy. You may have failed at everything else in life, right. but you're going to get this right. Right. Absolutely. That's what drove me. It was this 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 fear of uh, uh, not using the gifts that God gave me to make this a reality. Mm. And so I ah. took that I took that as my as, as my calling as my number one job. And you know, as we go further into the podcast and we're talking, you'll see we all have the potential and the ability to be great fathers, but for one thing. And that one thing is simply this, making that decision. 
It don't make a difference mm. how much you make, how much education you have, all of those uh, 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 characteristics that may help or may even hurt mm. the process. Because <laughs> you can have a whole lot of money and, and, and it don't make any sense. Nick Cannon got nine, ten kids. And I'm not <laughs> saying he's not a good father, but you, the point is, you know, having the financial means does not guarantee that mm. that you'll do a good job. Right. That's correct. That's how my world changed when that young man came into my life, even though on that day, January 28th, uh, he interrupted the Super Bowl because the, the Ravens <laughs> were playing and Jamal Lewis scored three touchdowns and we named him. His middle name is Jamal Lewis. And it's, so it's just all kinds of crazy, crazy things. Wow. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. First of all. My birthday is January 24th. So wow. He's okay. got to be an amazing person. I'm just saying. There you go. Like, yeah, that's absolutely. just the birthday. And I get it. I get it. But uh, you said something that's key there. And it's making a decision because just because you could be necessarily financially stable, that doesn't mean you're going to be a great parent because it's more than that. And so I think that's huge. And I think, uh, and I'm sure just in, in having this podcast and talking to, to parents and fathers, especially over the years, a lot of them were not financially stable. You know, they might've even been destitute. Maybe the child uh, that they had, they didn't plan for it, but they made it work because their heart was in it. Like they love their child. And so they did whatever it meant to make ends meet. And because of that, they ended up having a successful upbringing with their child. Really excited to talk about this dad's uplifting dad's group that you are facilitated for. Can you please tell me what that's about and how did you get involved? Everything happens for a reason, first and foremost. There are no such thing as coincidences. Mm-hmm. Everything is, it, 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 it's, you know, it, it, it's been out there way before we came along. Our goal is simply to be obedient when, when those opportunities come about. The dads uplifting dads had not heard about it. The social work agency who just was familiar with me and my training, the, mm-hmm. the, the director called me and said, hey, look, we... Uh, putting together this program, and it's called Dads Uplifting Dads with the Fatherhood Coalition of Illinois. And we are familiar with you as a trainer. And someone mentioned your son, because we see him in the newspaper, we Mm -hmm. read about him, he's a college athlete. And they said, they said, all of those accolades aside, it's the kind of person that he is. Everyone who meets this young man says the very same thing about this mm. young man. He's a decent person. He, he, he's uh, uh, mannerable. He's respectful. That's the key. Those are the intangibles of success. You know, we don't, they don't nobody care what he does on the baseball field. He <laughs> do, but the bottom right. line is when, when you run into him, it's that experience. And so they said, would you do this? And initially, it was real funny because the initial call was, hey, we need a volunteer for mm-hmm. this program. Would you do it? And I said, absolutely. Unequivocally, there was no there was no questions about it. Uh, I'll do this. I'll, you know, volunteer status. Yeah. And after meeting with the, the director of the program, he just said, hey, look, I'm going to be perfectly honest. He goes, I want to keep you. Uh, can we pay you? I was like, well, 
Well, I can't, I can't say no. I mean, I could, I guess, but I mean, that would just be wrong. That would right. be insulting. <laughs> right. Always told me, you know, somebody offer you a meal, and so, yeah. and he said, he goes, he goes, we don't have a lot, but he goes, but we want to put you on staff, and I said, absolutely. I, said, I was going to do it for free for a volunteer status, anyhow. And so the the reason he wanted to do that was so then that would make me an employee. So even mm-hmm. though I'm a facilitator, uh, you've got to go through the DCFS Department of Children Family Services oh, background yes. check and all that. Yes. Exactly. So you go through that uh, tedious process. And so now you're an employee, but I'm really not an employee, but for mm-hmm. all practical purposes on paper. So when they get grants, so forth and so on, and the grants, not necessarily to, to pay me, but the grant allows me to provide childcare for my participants, to provide get-togethers for the men. And mm. when we need to get together, we don't just get together and talk. Man, we get together. It's about changing lives. And these men come together. You can be anywhere. There's no income requirement. There's no educational requirement. It's simply dads calling in. on, on I meet once a week on Thursday evenings. And I don't care where you are, you call in and man, if you got an issue or you have a concern, for instance, a guy called in a while back and said, hey, look, uh, I'll never forget this one. Hey, uh, I just found out that I've got a child. And so when he called in and said he just found out he had a child, he immediately went to correct him. Oh, you mean you just found out you're going to have a child? I thought he was speaking in, you know, in the wrong tense. Mm-hmm. He was like, no. He was like, no. I found out that I have a child. I said, oh. I said, okay. Uh, and so I'm thinking, you know, it didn't make sense to me. But man, then it did make sense after he explained it. He found out that he had a child and the child's like seven years old. And, oh, wow. And he, he never knew. Now, let me ask you a question. If you woke up this morning and you proceeded going through your day like you've done every other Friday for the for the past, you know, for the past 20 years of your life. And then all of a sudden you find out that you have not only, you know, usually we get nine months to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. It's nine, eight, seven. He found out past tense. Not only do I have a child, this child is seven years old. Oh, what do you do now? Now, granted, I tip my hat to him because he said he was just clueless. He was like, man, I don't know what to do. And and obviously there were some issues with the mother and he because they didn't have a relationship. Sure. So it was. Yeah, it was. So so now he said so his thing was he called him. He was like, I need advice. What do I do? And to be, you know, that was just not my swim lane. I just had not had experience in that. Mm-hmm. And other fathers, you know, chimed in and said, hey, look, you have these rights. Because that's, you know, that's huge across the country. Right. Fathers who, you know, want to be involved with their children, but mm-hmm. they can't be. And, you know, and the laws in each state are different. But you do, it's your child. And right. just because you didn't know that that you, he was a father for six or seven years, it doesn't diminish his desire to step up to the plate. I don't know why the woman didn't tell him. I I have no idea. Mm -hmm. That's neither here nor there. But what I found interesting was his love or desire to be a good father was not diminished by the fact that he just found out seven years later than I did when I found out nine months prior. Mm. It was interesting to me that that his level of commitment, at least as it as he stated, yeah, when he called in, he's his level of commitment was 
absolutely there and he wanted to be a part of that process. And, you know, I salute him and, and, you know, he, he part of the group. What advice, I guess, did you, cause you said that was something that you was not familiar with. You didn't know exactly. And you said some of the dads uh, that were part of the program kind of chimed in and helped out. What was the advice that you gave him? Now, this is the beauty of this support group. Dads uplifting dads. None of us are experts in the whole dad thing. That's the mm-hmm. power. And so when he chimed in, you know, the first thing in my mind was, well, go go, go see the child. Go take mm-hmm. the child, develop a relationship. Well, obviously, there was a reason why he wasn't there for the first <laughs> seven years because right. they had no relationship with the mom. And mm-hmm. so, and the mother did not, did not, uh, uh, advocate for that relationship because she hadn't told him. And Mm. so in a situation where you have an adversarial situation, first and foremost, you have to seek legal, legal counsel. Mm-hmm. And that's what one of the fathers said, you know, legal counsel okay. and and sent him and actually gave him the information to a uh, legal aid professional who did the work pro bono. OK, because that might be an obstacle for, for sure. a father. And so he went to that and he went to the legal aid and 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 came back and would report on the rights that fathers have. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of rights that just because you haven't been involved, those rights are not diminished because you weren't there on day one. Right. And so so he he got the ability to see the child, develop a relationship, and there was some contention at first. Sure. Because, you know, you got <laughs> whole lot of issues, but yeah. uh my advice to him as a when he called in, I did what I believe to be correct and my feelings about being a father. And I said, look, the first thing, and this is me personally, and mm-hmm. this is not debatable. It's just not debatable. I've had we've had some real knockdown, drag out conversations <laughs> on this particular piece in my in my group. And I tell them, hey, look, the best thing a father can do for their child is to one love or respect, or both, their mother. Hmm. Period. 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 Non-negotiable. I don't care if you don't like her. Yeah. I don't care if you don't love her. If you don't like her, you don't love her, you got to respect her because Hmm. she is the mother, the vessel of your child. Now that gets really complicated when mm. you let's be real. You got some issues and you know, yeah. man, this woman is blah, 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 blah. Be so with it may, you gotta respect her. You got because now you now, you two have brought together a gift. And and that gift has to be shaped. And you you're not hey, even if you're together for 500 years, you're not gonna always see eye to eye on every sure. issue. Sure. But nonetheless, if we can start from that point loving or respecting her or both, then you can begin to move out and work with some things. And, you know, the legal piece, once that was squared away, he had, because he had a lot of animosity towards Mm. this person for not having, I mean, come on. I I think knowing the way I feel about my child, man, if I didn't know and she knew and she didn't tell me, Our thing, our piece on this is dads uplifting dads. So we have to take that, that animus out of it. And we have to, you know, look at the big picture and the big picture is that child. And that's the part of fatherhood that beauty of it. You know, those that make this work are those that understand it's a bigger picture than them. Mothers get it. It's almost like it's innate for a mother to do without 
put her, mothers will do anything for their children. Mm-hmm. They, they, they just yes. programmed like that, assuming yes. they're not mentally ill or some mm-hmm. other issues, suffering right. from substance abuse, abuse and so forth. But man, it, I don't know that we're necessarily hardwired to make those sacrifices. Sure. I mean, you know, and so for us, and that's one thing we've learned in this group is that we have to rewire. We, you know, we've got to get rid of that stinking thinking, get a check from the neck up and reevaluate our views on what our roles are as a father. And there is no one that can hold you accountable like your brother. Because see, when we when we come together, it's like, dude, hey, yo, my dog, uh, you want some stuff. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta call it for what it is. Right. Yo, bro, right. Yeah, man. I hear you, but you want some stuff. And nah, that's we not nah, that 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 ain't cool. And, you know, iron, sharpen iron. And sometimes, man, sometimes it's tough because sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And we have to do some reflective thinking. And we got to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, man, am I present? Right. Am I present? There, I know a lot of fathers that they provide financially, but they're emotionally unavailable. Right. And let me tell you, man, to catch up to you. You cannot hide. Exactly. No, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely going to catch up to you. And there's going to you talking about, you know, having animosity. Like, I think if, if that's where you are, if just a provider, you don't show any affection, you don't show any love. It's really interesting. Like the child does not know that that's necessarily, I I was talking with someone, I want to say just a week ago in having this conversation, we were talking about fatherhood. We were talking about my podcast. And one of the things that they said was, you have to tell the child that you love them because you can't expect that they're just going to know. You have to verbally say it and you have to show it as well. Like some, some men may think like, well, I'm, I'm bringing home my check. I'm providing, I'm making sure you have clothes. I'm making sure you have food to eat. I'm making sure, you know, all of these things are met. Your needs are met, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the child is going to know that you love them unless you tell them. Unless you say it outwardly and say, look, this is, I'm, I love you because it, it means so much to hear that, um, especially as you're coming up. So I, I hear what you're saying in regards to that. And I remember having that because it, it, it stuck with me so deeply. Um, my father was one that kind of was that he was a, he was a provider. Right. Um, and granted um, to his credit, his dad wasn't around and I've talked about him on this podcast too. It's nothing new, but he wasn't around. And so when he became a father himself, he didn't know or have that of how you should show that vulnerability and say it outwardly. Because again, his dad didn't say it to him. So he's just going by what he feels like he needs to do, which is to be a provider, which was great. And I'm glad that he did that. And he was obviously always there. He never let us astray, anything like that. But I longed for him to say those yes. words, I love you. And it was just something that inside of me that I that I wanted. And I just didn't get until much later in life. And it was, you know, it took some time for him and he was older and then he understood the value of that. You understand yes. what I'm saying? But I'm already an adult now. So yeah, now I cherish it, of course. But as a kid, it would have went so much further. You understand? So do, I get do, do, do I understand? Do I understand? <laughs> I was 20, listen, I was 26 years old before when I when my father told me he loved me that I remembered. Wow. 26. 26. Wow. And and just like your father, he mm-hmm. was there. 
Mm-hmm. But that just it was just it that was the generation. They mm-hmm. didn't do that. If you if you told your kid that you love them, it's like, man, the boy's gonna be soft. He's right. Gonna be I was sissy. just gonna say that. You right. make the boy soft. Know, right. yeah. Make the boy soft. 26 years old. And when he told me he loved me, I man, I had I had been in the military, I had mm-hmm. graduated from college, I was mm-hmm. grown, and when he told me, it hit me like it was like, whoa. And yeah. you know, I was like, I love you too, Dad. And and I knew, see, your father and my father. They mm-hmm. did so much for us that we didn't even know. Because right. from day one, I cut the umbilical cord of my son. Mm-hmm. And I helped deliver him. Wow. And so I gave him his first bounce. Mm-hmm. And so I took him to all his appointments on his first year because my wife hated seeing him stuck with needles and what mm-hmm. have you. Mm-hmm. So so, so not only did, did I show him that I loved him from day one to this very day, we do not end a phone conversation without, hey, dude, love you, man. Mm. Dude, cannot tell him enough. If I tell him five times a day that I love him, it's okay. It's all good. Because let me tell you, this is a wicked world. Mm-hmm. Can I share with you the what we just went through? We're going through it right now. Please, we please. Just, okay, okay. This is Friday. Because, you know, people will hear this podcast in the future. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to put the time frame. This mm-hmm. is Friday, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, I get a text. And let me paint the background. He's a Division One baseball player. I'm not going to say where, because that's a part of this story. Mm-hmm. So we're going to leave the place. On, we're not, we're not going to say where it is, but he's a Division One baseball player on the East Coast. Because I don't want to I don't want to throw any shade on, mm-hmm. on this particular program. So he's a division one play, player. The kids are phenomenal uh our baseball player. So we get to this it gets to this school and uh uh we, you know we were anticipating some great things this year and it's so you know just like sports uh not getting to play in time that he wants and that happens and he's a predominantly white institution the only African American kid on mm. the on the program and that creates challenges it just sure. does because sure. they don't they, you know we don't have to that's a whole different podcast so he calls me on Tuesday season's about ending and he says dad he goes coach called me into the office you know we're having the end of the year sit down and the coach says to him man you know we loved you uh you know you're a great contributor to the program however i'm not renewing your scholarship oh wow in, in baseball, this is routine. It's nothing new. It's not personal. They got okay. 11.7 scholarships, 35 plus kids. And oh. so if you're not, if you, there's not football where everybody gets 100% or basketball, that's why we ain't playing it. Ah. 11.7. So nobody gets a full scholarship. So you get about a third. And so ah. they've got to, so they play these games and they switch it around and, you know, they want you there. And he, this, he had 26 pitches. My kids are pitching. So of course he didn't get enough playing time because you got 26 with COVID. They canceled the year. Mm -hmm. You got guys coming back. You got 24 year old grown men who Mm. are pitching. And so there's a whole lot of variables. that has got nothing to do with him, but this is how they play these games. If his name was Swartz, maybe he would have renewed it, but Mm -hmm. he didn't. And so, Mm. so all of a sudden you got the 21 year old kid who is crushed. So he calls home and he says to my wife, actually he didn't call, he texts and he he sends us his text and he said, mom and dad coach is not renewing my scholarship. So I pick up the phone and I'm like, you know, I'm dad. And he simply says to me, he goes, yeah, dad. And so 
for the first time in my life, I rem I remembered I could feel his anguish, even though he didn't say anything. I felt it, and and when he got off the he got off the phone, I said, Are "You okay?" He goes, "Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good." And hear me clearly, fathers. When they say I'm good, they ain't good. They ain't always good. We have it's a lie. Learn. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. You have to. And, and, and if you don't have that relationship with them, you mm -hmm. won't ever be able to sense that. So right. he hangs up. And if you can see my background and on, on the podcast, that's me and mm -hmm. him looking mm -hmm. at a sunset in, in, in Florida one year oh, wow. on a father-son trip. Because, I mean, that dude, that's what we do. We, we, yeah. we hang out. And when he, when he got off the phone and he said he was good, I looked at my wife and I was like, honey, what are you feeling? And, you know, she's upset and blah, 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 blah. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, I said, I said, honey, we got to go get him. He's six hours away. Six hours. Six hours. Man, let me tell you why. These young people, man, are taking their lives at an astronomical rate. Mm, Our yes. kids, because yes. they're feeling the stress and the pressure mm -hmm. of middle class America, not feeling like they, like they, you know, this is a kid where, man, he was the only kid. There was, he was, there's only two kids in the school district in 2019 out of probably 500 kids that play baseball that got division one scholarships. He's wow. the only one in his high school. He was the number three third baseman in, in the state of Illinois. So we're talking about big time yeah. athlete who gets to a program and the coach tells you, dude, and now he didn't cut him. He said, you could come back. But I'm, you know, it'd be on your parents' time, right? And, and this happens a lot, and that's why we, like I said, we ain't playing because they are, they can afford to do that, and mm -hmm. so they can afford to have the kids there and pay out of pocket. But I'm like, this is out of state, so the yeah. pay, you know, the, the tuition itself, and you know, we're talking about oh, 35. Yeah. I, exactly. I went to an out of state college. I know exactly. You know, you know yes. exactly. And yes. so, and so, so we get up the next morning, and this is Tuesday, man. We get up yesterday, man. I would have went Tuesday, but I had a meeting. <laughs> and we get up, we get up Wednesday morning and man, we drive six hours. Mm. And when we, when we get there, we call him, we tell him we're coming. When we get there, he, he kind of looks okay. And we're talking to him and blah, blah, blah. And he seems okay. And he's trying to put on a united front, mm -hmm. but nothing was packed. And so we were like, well, man, look, me personally, I'm not sending you back down here if you are not going to be a member of this team and, you know, a, a, not a de facto member, because mm -hmm. now you you literally a walk on if you ain't got no scholarship. Right, and they treat right. you with such. And mm -hmm. so it, so he was so he had to come to terms with, hey, it's time for me to move on. Mm -hmm. Man, Thursday morning, we get up and we pack the car because he's got all kinds of stuff. And he packs his car and. He jumps in the car. He says to us, he goes, okay, he goes, okay, mom, okay, dad, I'll see you at home. He jumps in the car and leaves. What? He leaves. Just leaves, bounces. He just bounces. And my wife and I would look at each other like, man, he, he left us the keys. He left us the, the door fob to get into your apartment complex. Mm -hmm. Half his apartment was still sitting there. Hmm. The kid just literally shut down and was out. And we looked at each other like, wow. So we start packing. It takes us like four hours. Four hours. He left what? everything. And so we so so we looked at each other like, and initially I was like, dude, what is wrong with this? With this irresponsible, but man, that was his way. He just checked out. Mm. He just checked out. And let me tell you, when they go through stuff and they get mentally beat down. Mm -hmm. society man society will tell them on one hand they're great and on the other hand they beat them down 
And right. this kid who is so used to success and being successful, man, he was just beat down and he just mm. checked out. And so when we finally picked up the phone and called him, he was like in another state because we're two states over. Right. He was in another state. He was three hours away from home. What? And I was like, I was like, are you okay? He was like, yeah, daddy, because I'll see you at home. And so, you know, we get home, like, we get there, like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine hours later. Yeah. And, you know, we sit, we talk. And I said, man, you know, we love you. And our love for you is unconditional. It's got nothing to do with this. This too shall pass. We'll see this thing through and we'll move on. And, man, he was just, man, he got home. He picked up the dog. And by the time we got home, he was just, like, different person. Got up this morning, made him breakfast. Man, Lem. It was a total different 180. And wow. it's not like we had to have a sit down, come yeah. by y'all, come to Jesus talk. It was just being in the presence of the village, knowing that he's okay. And man, he said to me this morning, he was like, okay, he's getting ready to go play the summer in Iowa. He okay. was like, here's what he said to me this morning. He was like, man, all I need is one good year. He goes, I'm about to go do, I'm about to go do this in, in Iowa next week. And so now he's okay. Right. The bottom line is he didn't need anybody to go hold his hand. He mm -hmm. just needed to know that the village is there. That's what's not written in the in the parent handbook. Mm. And, and and in order and in the father's handbook, you got to know your kids. And just like anything else, you got to have a relationship with them. And a relationship is not just simply providing. A relationship is being there to paint it like it T I E is. And <laughs> and let me tell you. You know, you, whether I was with his mother or not, that relationship would not change, but it's mm -hmm. a heck of a lot easier when you're everybody in the house. Oh, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you, what do you think? I mean, to me, and again, and everyone knows this on this podcast, I'm not a parent yet. Um, right. I definitely aspire to be one one day. Um, but my job here is facilitating, as you do, these interviews to make sure that people understand uh, what being a father of color is and showing the positiveness, positiveness, excuse me, of that. When you said about them knowing that their village is there, it seems like that's something that is, like you said, it's not in the handbook. It's not in the manual. Um, when you become a parent, there is no manual, but we're just, we're just saying if there was, it's just not there. Why do you think that some people may not understand that concept about being there for the children in that way? Yes, they don't understand the whole concept of the of, of the, the village concept. I mean, I'm in a fraternity. I'm an Omega. You know, my fraternity brothers and I, wherever we are, we have that bond. That's mm -hmm. a common bond. You've got brothers who are Masons or various other uh, uh, fraternal organizations. The one thing we realize is that I learned a long time ago. I can't do this by myself. Right. And once you understand that, you realize that, man, there is a concerted effort to maintain the status quo mm. in America. And when you have a African-American, a Hispanic American, an Asian American male, he's not the status quo. That's just the bottom line. And so so the odds are uh it's it's an insurmountable odds from day one. He starts 10 steps behind that other kid. Mm. Okay. And so you understand it. I had already predicted before he turned 21 and he just turned 21 in January. I predicted that he was go this year was going to be a life-changing 
experience for him before this stuff happened. I didn't know how. I knew there's not a 21-year-old African-American male that's doing anything in America that's not going to have that experience, whether it be by being stopped by the police, whether it's being, you know, followed in a store. That's just the America that we live in. And we have to, knowing that this is going to happen, if you don't know what's going to happen, being in the village will prepare you for it. So consequently, when I heard him and we spoke on Tuesday, there was I didn't need to call anybody in right. order to take action. The habit number one in seven habits of highly effective people that I'm a facilitator for talks about being proactive. As men of color, we can't be reactive. Mm. We can't wait until something right. happens before we take action. We have and to the, be proactive. The, we got to yes. be proactive. At the very least, you got to have gas in your car and <laughs> and and fifty dollars. No, no, it used to be fifty dollars. Right, hundred dollars to, to to fill that pot. Up to exactly. go get them and being of sound mind to understand that that you know you no know, he's gonna he's gonna bump his head that's mm. just the reality and when it happens we we gonna let him do it he's got to experience that himself but knowing that that's a part of the of the stratosphere knowing that's a part, especially for baseball in baseball and, and and players of color man he wouldn't be where he is today if mm-hmm. not for the village and so and so because of that we now have the the shared experiences so we know that he's going to go through this and you know look this kid this kid is six two six three about six three about a 200 and some pounds and mm-hmm. built like a like a monster and mm-hmm. so you look at him and you're like dude we know you can do this <laughs> but you know it it just you may not do it here and the powers right. that be don't necessarily want you to to get to that next level and so that being said that's where the village concept comes in. Women get it. Women have been doing. They they've understood it for the longest. There's not a woman that you that you know, uh, whether she's of color or not, that doesn't have a tribe or doesn't have a village, a group sure. of women that they can sure. connect with. We uh we it, it's taken us a little longer to get on board, but that's why I commend you for what you're doing, dude. You are the you are the village squire. That's what you are, <laughs> and you are you are uh, you're ringing the bell and you're telling, mm-hmm. hey, fathers of color. This is what you are doing. So mm-hmm. consequently, you are, and I'm going to have to correct you. The only thing you've said all uh, since we've been talking that I wholly disagree with is that you're not a parent yet. My brother, mm-hmm. you are. You are. You are. What you are doing here, you are parenting kids that you just don't know. Mm. But w- this work is so powerful that you are Uncle M. You are, <laughs> you are because you are putting this energy out there that is so powerful. So mm. when you do decide to literally, uh, you know, go to the country club and get your and get your ticket, which will mm. be your 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 seed, man, you would be so. Oh my goodness, you already got a PhD. You have, mm. a, you have a PhD mm. because you understand concepts that it would have taken. Us, many of us, decades. Sure. And, and 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 you know, and it's like when I when I became a father, man, I had so many, man, so many good people that were fathers, and they they would simply tell me, "Hey, boy, look, you look, 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 you don't want to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't want to do this. Do that. Do. And it was like, because they were the village, it was like, okay, yeah, I, I didn't have to question it. Right. And if they told me, they told me not, I cannot take it. I don't know that how many original thoughts I had as a father. Mm-hmm. And my close friend told me, man, you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. All you have to do is just, you know, build a better mousetrap. And that's what I did with him. It was like, okay, we're going to do this. And even with all the information that I had, we still had challenges. Oh, my goodness, did we have challenges. And not necessarily from him, because he's been a great kid. But, you know, we live in a predominantly white community and, Mm. and make no mistakes about it. There's no difference between white fathers and fathers of color. The only difference is privilege. And they think that that because their kids look the way they do, that consequently everything ought to fall to their kids, whether they earned it or not. Mm-hmm. And we're here, we're, I'm here to tell you that, dude, this is America and it's all right. about, you know, hard work kids, you know, and it's just, I understand you've got the privilege, but not today. you're going to have to beat this one out. And they Mm. don't believe that that's how it works because that's not how it's always worked for them. Consequently, this is why we are where we are today on the political stratosphere because these folks are like, hey, uh, little Johnny here, nobody ought to question him until he becomes the CEO. Mm. I was like, man, you know, little Johnny, he all right, but, uh, you know, my boy over here too, he he got his lunch. Right. On, on, on several different levels. And sure. all, all, all we want is an opportunity for our kids to have a fair shake. And yes. if you aren't hungry and you aren't dedicated to making that happen, then maybe you shouldn't be a father. <laughs> because because that's going to be, that is going to be the test. It ain't, can I feed them? Are you going to feed them? It ain't, can I house them? Are you going to house them? It's going to be how are you going to respond when they are faced with challenges that mm. we had and that maybe we were like, okay, let me step to the side. Uh-uh, this is a new generation. Right. I, I, I love that you said this is a new generation. I remember, um, and this is, well, two things from what you were saying. Number one, one of the first people I interviewed on this podcast, he was talking about that village concept, right? So him and a few of his friends are all dads. And so essentially they keep each other accountable. And if they find that one of them is slipping, they'd be like, Hey man, let's, let's have a conversation because I see some deficiency there and they just work that way, you know, and ultimately it's to make sure that they can be the best fathers that they can be. And like you said, moms will do that just innately. Like they just do it without hesitation. It just comes natural to them. But for, for men and um, fathers, um, namely, it's more difficult for us to bind together like that. You may see it sometimes in, in churches and stuff because of the way things are presented, but outside of that, it's just, it's more difficult. And so, um, but I like how you bring that up. And I remember one of the, him telling me that, you know, about that concept and how it's just helped him tremendously. Like not only, you know, be a mentor and a father for his own self, but with his tribe and his village to do that. And so that way, again, like I said earlier, just be the best father that they can be. But to get back to the initial point, I think it's so important to look at, like you said, we are not our parents, like it's a new generation. And so we are, wanting to make a difference. We are wanting to be vulnerable in front of our children. We are yes. wanting to, to, like you said, get in the, oh, you got an issue? Let me get in the car and let's, let's work this out now. 
You know what I'm saying? Because we don't want it to fester. It's a, it's a different time in the sense of even like with discipline and things of that nature, just making sure that when you with your child and supporting them, there's just more of a support that I see that's happening with fathers today in, in multiple aspects, not just like we talked about at the beginning, the financial aspect, but just support all over, just making sure that no, this is how it is. And just being communicative to your children and having that peace open. Would you agree? Absolutely. Let me tell you one, we learn in our failures. Would you not agree? Yes. Yes. And I learned early on that I thought I was a good father, but then I found out early, I am not half the father that I thought I was. Mm. Case in point, case in point. One day, and, and I've always been involved. And I would take him on Wednesdays. We'd go to the McDonald's because that's where all the kids <laughs> would go to the McDonald's little playground in the evening. And, right. you know, yeah, and they'd all play. And so, I mean, I was that guy. I was there, blah, 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 blah. So one day we were at a at a playground. There were several fathers that, that showed up because we're in the different generations where you would see fathers with their kids. Beautiful thing. And, and, and but I was one of the few fathers in this one that came to that particular play group at that particular time. And so I was talking to one of the mothers and my son probably had to be maybe three or four. So, you know, at three or four, you don't have them too far from you. They're like mm-hmm. right there. And right. you know, the kids are all playing and I'm talking to, to a lady and uh, all of a sudden one of the kids started crying. And, you know, there's like, like 15, 20 kids and mm-hmm. the mothers are all talking and the kids are like in the playground. And one of them, one of the kids started crying. Ah! And the lady I was talking to said, excuse me one second. Uh, that's my child. And she walked over and mm-hmm. I looked and it's like, so she comes back and I was like, excuse me. I said, I said, you, I said hold on. I heard that child crying. How did you know that was you? How did you know that? They were all screaming and crying. Right. She, and she looked at me and she said, you don't know your kids will cry? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, I was like, nah. And here's what I got out of that. What I got out of that piece was, we have selective hearing as men. Mm. And, and I knew, I, I, I'm guilty. He used to be watching the game on a Sunday mm-hmm. and my son could be screaming. He could be sitting right next to me screaming. And I'm like, man, I'm watching the game. And my <laughs> wife would be like down the block and would be like, don't you hear the child screaming? I'd be like, no, nah, nah, I, I didn't hear that. And so we have to, that selective listening, boy, it's it ate with us. So what I had to learn was, I learned at an early age what his voice sounded like. Mm. Not not literally, not but figuratively speaking. Yes. And let's let's play that forward. Tuesday, when I called him on the phone. Mm-hmm. See, but now I've got years of learning what he sounds like. So I don't, it doesn't make a difference if he texts me or if I see a picture, I know what's going on because I've learned and I've trained myself to listen. And how many of us have gone through two or three or four wives and we ain't here, nine, one of them, which is why we are number three or four. And, and, and consequently, it was like, what a beautiful skill to be able to, and that's what anybody wants. That's what every one of us, we want to be heard. Mm. And it's not just necessarily what we say, it's being able to innately 
pick up on that. And that's one of the things that if, if, if a father's listening, man, if they can pick up on that piece, man, that's a, that's a game changer. That's a game changer because, because, you know, this is 2022 and man, you can listen to podcasts on how to be good fathers, which is absolutely great. But once again, You've got to be proactive. Listening to your podcast will give you information, but to to really internalize it, you got to want to do it. And I wanted, I mean, with all my being, I wanted to be a good father. And because of that desire and want, look at the things that it's led to. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I spoke all over the country, and I still have people who will who will reach out to me and be like, "Man, how's your son?" And it was like, you know, he was four at the time or he was five. And then when they hear what he's doing now, they're like, absolutely no surprise. Mm -hmm. We all have the ability to raise phenomenal human beings. Mm -hmm. Again, what what venue? If you love on a child and you support them and you give them the permission to be great, Lamb, it's a done deal. You Mm -hmm. just sit back and watch that greatness unfold. That's a fact. Right. That's a a fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I hear what you're saying about the in tune part, right? Like you have to be in tune with your children into a space where you, like you said, literally and figuratively that you can hear their voice and hear not just what they're saying, but why they're saying it. Like you said, when your son called you, you knew like, no, this is something that can't just happen over text. I need to go down and I need to get him because this is a a deeper issue. And I think it's so important for knowing that and not only knowing it, but acting upon it. And and I think, yes. And I hate to cut you off, but I got to cut you off right there. Let me tell you what, let me tell you why I heard, because it's not about me. Hmm. See, so many of us are the dose. I mean, think about President Obama as he was raising his children, you know, in the White House. Mm, I mean, wow. you know, you were the most powerful man in the in, in, in the free world. But you he still found a way. He still found a way to be a father. Yes. And yes. you know, that's that's what that whole book was about. Lessons of lessons from my father. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that was just so powerful. It doesn't make a difference what you do. You may not have the 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 you know 15 hours in a day but if you've got one hour or two hours it's not the number of hours in the day it's the number of love and everything that you put in to the Mm -hmm. hours that you have and when you're with them you have to be present and so what you know so so many of us we get caught up and we get caught up in having the image of being mm. good parents. Yes. I mean, let me let, let, let me buy let me buy my 17-year-old a $50,000 BMW so mm-hmm. they can go kill themselves. Cuz that's what they're going to do. Cuz that's mm. what 17-year-olds do. Make mm. no mistakes about it. He's a, he's 17, he's 17. You buy a 17-year-old a $50,000 automobile, they're going to test it. <laughs> that's just what they do. Mm. So it's it's not just providing the the appearances of it. Man, right. how many folks have just just showered money and 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 material things on kids thinking that they'd be okay and then they're mad when the kids got even more issues because right. you didn't give them everything. You, you know, no, 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 no. Kids need to be told no. And a part exactly. of that whole process is, is holding them accountable. That being said, you can't do that if you haven't connected with you. Mm. Let me tell you, my prayer all the time is, man, work with me and my issues because I got them. 
Yes. And, you know, just, just being able to acknowledge, dude, man, I, I got issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, I, we don't care what they are, but right. just being able to acknowledge that, dude, man, I got issues. Knowing that I got issues, then when I come to that child, I come to that child with a broken vessel, knowing that I got issues. So I'm not coming to that child from the perspective of you do this or that child doesn't feel condemnation that I've never told my son, well, when mm-hmm. I was your age, I did this. Or I, blah, blah. No, no, no. We don't even roll like that. Right. We don't even roll like that. I'll share with him what my failures were. Mm-hmm. If he asked me what my successes are, I'll share that too. But for the most part, it's because what you'll find out, especially with boys, boys will inevitably compete with you. Mm. Because that you are that you are that guy, my right. son. To we we joke all the time where he's like he's like, man, you want to go play one on one, dad? And it's like I'm, <laughs> I'm like, nah, man, nah, man, I, I'm good, man, I'm good, you know, I'm I'm retired. But you know, it, it's it's that thing. It's like the minute he can do anything better than you, it's mm. a, oh my goodness, that's a great day in in, in right. a young man's world. I'm not sure how it is with daughters, but I'm sure there's something there to that, you know to that piece, but it's it, the, the understanding with him is, is allowing him to, you know, shine in his glory and, and not feeling that, that you've got to be better than him because mm-hmm. my job has always been to make him better than me, period. Right. There's no, it's not a competition aspect. It's not a competition. It's, it's not, not a competition, competition. Like you said, and I think any parent worth their salt, they want their child to exceed what they've done. Like that's just, mm-hmm part of how it goes. Like, I want you, I don't know anyone, any parent that is like, you know what? I want you to do worse than me, you know, like, like, no, you want them to excel, you know? And if you don't want them to excel, then there's gotta be a deficiency or an issue there. Um, because I don't see why they wouldn't. What were you saying? But think, but think about if you were Michael Jordan's son mm-hmm. and you played basketball, which they both did. Yes. Could you imagine the pressure that they had to feel. And it's like, right. And it's like, it's like, it's like, dude, you knew that that was not going to happen. That they weren't going to be better basketball players, but Mm -hmm. they can be better in, she can still play basketball, which they both did. To that end, they've got to find themselves. And and I don't know what the relationship with him and his boys were, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I would, I would, you know, I always wondered, there were things that your kid may never do as well as you did, sure. but that's okay. You still support them in what it is yeah. that they did. I mean, I'm a uh, certified professional teaching tennis pro. I taught tennis for years and mm. played collegially myself and my son never played. I don't mm. want to have anything to do with it. And it's like, he played the one sport that I knew absolutely nothing about, baseball. <laughs> and, you know, it's, just, it's just funny how sometimes, and, you know, and of course, that's probably based on where we lived and so forth mm-hmm. and so on. But mm-hmm. sometimes your kids, you've got friends and their kids are doing stuff that they never even dream. I've got a friend whose kid is a fencer. He fences. And it was like, man, back in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. a, fence, a fence was something you jumped over. Right. Right. And, and and this kid, he saw it on the on on the Olympics, and there's a there's a black family out east, and they've just this family's phenomenal. They've won fence, they've won like gold or silver in fencing in the last two or three Olympics, and they are like they are like American royalty. And he was like, Oh, I want to try that. And he's just taken off with it. Wow. <laughs> and so and so, you know, it, it's the ability to let them dream mm-hmm. and let them do and let them fail. Yes. And it, 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 it it's funny because it's a funny story. I was 
talking to a young man in the barber shop I met the other couple of weeks ago. His son plays baseball and the kid's seven years old. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of looked at him and it just man, it touched my heart. Because he was coming from a baseball game and he was, in the, he was in the barber's chair and he had his baseball uniform on. And so I said, how old is your son? He said, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And he and, and I was like, baseball player, huh? He goes, does he, I said, does he like it? He goes, yeah, he seems like he likes it. And he goes, and he goes, uh, and the barber says, oh man, this dude's son, man, his son man's collegiate player man he was also he was everything in the, in, in our neighborhood and the guy looked at me go really and i said yeah he he he, he got some skills and so we said so what age did he start and i said he started about your son's age and he goes was he good from day one i said no nah, listen let me tell you a story at age seven when he started the first time he went to t-ball he went to t-ball and i took him the first time the second time he went i was out of town and my wife's taking the T-ball and uh, he starts crying. Says he wow. doesn't want to go. And so he's crying, like crying up a storm. And so my wife calls me and she goes, she goes, honey, he, he's crying. He says he doesn't want to go. She goes, did, did something happen the last time? I go, no, I thought it was a positive experience. So I said, put him on the phone. I'm in the airport. And I said, put him on the phone. He gets on the phone. I said, I said, CJ. I said, hey, this is dad. He goes, hey, dad, you don't want to go. I said, you don't want to go. I said, why not? He goes, you don't want to go. Fine. I said, now nah. I said, do you remember how many times you get to quit at anything in life? He says to me, uh, yeah. I said, how many times do you get to quit, son? He goes, I get to quit once. I said, yeah. I said, I'm giving you one time to quit your entire life. And I said, I said, do you want to take that quit? <laughs> that one time now? right he now? Said, you know what a seven-year-old says? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I said, put mine back on the phone. I said, okay. I put it back on the phone. I said, honey, you can turn around. He doesn't have to go. She said, oh, no, she's hot. It's like, yeah. I said, no, I said, I go, I go, no, he doesn't have to go. So he doesn't go. So the next week I'm back in town. He goes, he goes, dad, I'm, I'm ready to go to the steep ball. I said, no, we ain't going. Hmm. He said, what do you mean we're not going? I said, you quit. Yeah. And he, he goes, he, he, then he starts crying. I said, dude, you can cry all you want to. You quit. I said, yeah. you had one time to quit. Hand to God. Kid never played T-ball. He's the only kid. No, that kid so he, I stopped. They play T-ball. So, so let's fast forward to the next year. The next mm-hmm. year comes around, he wants to play. Now it's coach's pitch. And he said, all his friends are playing. And he's like, dad, can I play? Can I play? And I looked at him, I said, you going to quit? He goes, oh, absolutely not. He goes, <laughs> I, 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 I used my one quit. <laughs> one quit. And he's never quit anything else. Wow. You hear me? Wow. One And one quit, seventh grade T-ball. That kid has never, to this very day, has never quit. He ain't going to quit. You can beat him, but he ain't going to quit. Right. You see, you see that lesson? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and now, now somebody might go, man, dude, you're kind of hard. No, you're not. I mean, he, he had one quit and he could have used that quit at any time he chose to. He sure. chose to use it at seven. Sure. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I think there's revelation in that in the sense that, you know, when, when we look and we want to, um, you know, we obviously want to make our kids happy. Yes. But I think there's a difference between you know, making them happy and, and having them enjoy life, then let them then do whatever they want to do. Like there's a definitely different. And I think a lot of times, especially when they are younger, they don't know any better. Like it has to be instilled in them, you know, that type of per- having perseverance, you know, stick those things that they need later in life. And so when they're allowed to be shown that through, you know, obviously parents and things of that nature, then they understand it later in life. I know for me, like, there's a lot of lessons that my parents taught me that I didn't get till I was an adult. Um, at the time, I'm like, man, I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
like I, you talk about the quit thing. I used to play the piano when I was little. And I mean, I was, I was dope, but I hated to practice. That was my thing. I hated to practice. Alan Iverson. Bro. And exactly. Alan Iverson for the piano. And so, um, <laughs> so my mom, because she's paying for lessons, you know, I'm here every time I practice. Cause I want to play outside. I hear my kids, my, my friends playing outside. I want to play outside. So I'm like, Oh, I'm crying on the piano. So she's like, look, if you don't want to play, uh, piano anymore then that's fine you don't have to do it because but i'm just letting you know that that that's it like you're gonna be done and so i was like okay cool now <laughs> granted if she would have like you know been like joe jackson you know what i'm saying like right. <laughs> and and kept me there who knows what would have happened but ultimately for her it was like if you don't want to do this then you're not going to do it then then that's it and so it was something later that i realized was like oh like you have to practice and you have to work at things if you want to be well in the future. As a kid, a lot of things came easy for me. So because they came easy for me, if there was any work involved, I didn't want to do it. You understand? So like oh, with yes. the piano, because there was practice involved when I got to a certain level, I just didn't want to do it. And so what she was showing me was, look, you have to work at things like and if you don't want to work at things, it's just not going to happen for you. And to this day, I'm like, man, I could have been the best piano player ever. But the lesson was in you have to practice. You have to work at things if you're going to be successful in them. And again, I learned that as I got older that, no, I have to work at things in order to have success. That's just the bottom line. It's not going to come easy. Nothing in life is going to come easy. And I think as parents, when we teach our children this, that it's not going to come easy, you have to work at it. Just like you said, he had the one quit. He quit. Okay, cool. And you stuck to that quit. Oh, you quit. Remember, don't forget that you quit. But then when it came around again, are you going to quit? Nope. Because he knows that he has to have it to work. And the path of least resistance, there's a whole bunch of folks. It, mm -hmm. it stays busy on that oh, path sure. of least resistance. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Man, this is really good, man. I really appreciate everything uh, we're talking about, um, David. This is this is good. I do want to um, switch gears a little bit and yes, just, talk about, just talk about challenges. And obviously with what you do with the Fathers Uplifting Fathers, I'm sure that you have a lot of stories, but what would you say for you personally was some of your challenges in raising uh, your child? Some of my challenges was, for me, it came to a, a huge challenge was from a professional perspective. How important was it to be on the road. I started my consulting business, Lewis Consulting Group Incorporated, and mm -hmm. you know, did corporate training. And man, there was there was a couple of years where lived out of airports and was gone profusely. Oh wow. Yeah. And and as he got into the baseball piece latter years, uh it 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 became ex extremely apparent to me that by him being the only kid of color at many of these events i had to be there because mm. because society it they expected his mom to be there and a lot of these folks thought she was a single mom and make no mistakes about it they treat your kid very differently mm. when they know dad's around mm. and, oh, I'm sure. and, and, and and here's the kid there's a lot of uh, uh uh white males who weren't around because of their careers mm. but when they came around, they remembered that 
those moms had a husband who was a black woman. If they didn't see you there, Mm. <laughs> well, well, you know, we're, we're, you know, oh, that's a single mom, or you know, is that his uncle, or, or mm-hmm. who is that? And so I had to make my presence known, and he'll never know this. He doesn't owe me anything for it. But being there, I mean, so being the the biggest challenge was the balance between my professional life and being there for him. And so I would do things like I, uh, so I started teaching. So I was an adjunct professor at the university here and I taught for 16 years so I could have the flexibility. Mm. <laughs> took a pay cut. Yeah. Hear me clearly. Took a pay cut in, in finance, in finances, but man, I made up for it so much more. Mm. I would go to the school, the elementary school. I read once a week. I was that father that half the kids at the school thought that I worked at the school. <laughs> because I was there so much. And gotcha. so the kids knew me, the teachers knew me. And so consequently, you don't think that affected the expectation of my son? Oh, you wow. skip it, you did. Sure. I mean, hey, look, you go volunteer once a week on a Thursday mm-hmm. evening to read to your kid, put a dollar amount on that. Mm-hmm. You cannot put a dollar amount on that. And so those were the those were the challenges. And if I had to do it again, I don't think I'd change it. Hmm. Because no one on my deathbed is gonna is gonna ask me, you know, how much money did you make mm-hmm. those years or blah 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 blah. <laughs> right? Don't nobody care. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and the relationship with him is is it's it's ultimately more important. Seeing him becoming the best that he can be and giving him the opportunity to so to see that you know I'm present. So right. he he knows what a what a present what a father who's present is there. He knows that he's got somebody who, especially being an only child, yes. he knows that he's got somebody that has his back that unequivocally will 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 give his life in a mm. with, with without even without even a second thought mm-hmm. because that's just how powerful. And most fathers they feel that way. And if you don't, then so be it. I'm not saying you have to feel that way. Right. But, you know, you're called, you know, you're called to give your life for your family. And, you know, that's, it's, it's just that simple. Absolutely. And, yeah. You know, I look at, and, 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 I, and I was reminded of that when uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I was seeing the Ukrainian refugees leaving Ukraine and uh, mothers seeing husbands that they might not see again. Wow. And, and, you know, I mean, that's, that's a deep picture where, you know, you're sending your, your wife and your child and you're staying to support the homeland because mm-hmm. that's what men do. Yes. I mean, it, 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 you know, you're talking about, I mean, those are the heroes. The yes. aunt, I mean, we don't know what their names are, but, but we know who they are in spirit. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's what fathers did. That's what fathers have done since the beginning of time. Yes. They make sacrifices to enable that next generation to have what a chance that that, that that that's it no that's huge <laughs> that's, that's it. huge it's it's like you said it's having a chance it's having a chance being an example to what that is like you said on your deathbed no one's concerned about what kind of money you made they're concerned about what was your imprint on this world you know yes. what did you do uh what was you know the things that you accomplished and your fruit speak for itself being a father and having children that's your fruit so if your fruit is 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 well taken care of and doing well then that speaks highly of you as their father because you're the one that instructed them and and worked with them for that so i think that's huge i think that's huge um 
before we close out uh, this episode, um, I do want to ask you what, um, I know you have a wealth of it, but what advice would you give uh, a father that maybe is a new father or someone that is, you know, going to be a father? I know you, you know, the gentleman that you had talked to, he had found out he's a father at seven years old. I mean, his child was seven years old, excuse me. And so um, what advice would you give uh, any potential fathers out there? Simply look in the mirror, look in the mirror, have a conversation with that guy looking back at you. And I'm not going to tell you what to say, but be honest in whatever it is you determine that you want to do. If you're going to be a father, then be a father. Remember I said the best thing you could do for your child is to love or respect their mother, but you can't do that until you've had that conversation with you. Once you've had that conversation and you've made that determination, then it doesn't make a difference what she does because you've stated that, you know, that that then, I mean, you now have a vision. And once you have a vision, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, mandate what she does. Who cares? I've got a radio show that I've had for years on financial literacy. And at the end of my radio show, this is how I end every show. And this is really a great bit of advice for fathers. Listen up. If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. If you ain't got what you want, you need to stop doing what you've been doing so you can get what you ain't got. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing day in, day out, expecting different results. So you decide you want to be a father, then man, make that decision, be proactive, and never ever, you know, Jim Valvano talks about it. Um, uh-huh. Never ever give up. Never ever give up. And look, every 24 hours, you get a chance, an opportunity to get it right. So, dude, if you fail, and we will fail, we will fail, we will fail often. Just get up. Like I told my son today, a setback is a setup for a comeback. And that's just what you do. You keep showing up every single day. If they fire you, you come back tomorrow and you act like <laughs> you act like you didn't get the notice. You cannot <laughs> quit. You cannot quit. It's it's you know, you know, I hear I don't I don't even I cannot conceive of these fathers who are not involved in their children's lives. Hmm. And, and, and I don't care what anybody tells me. I know that in my heart of hearts, I feel that there will always be like a, an uneasiness, an unspirit, an uneasiness in your spirit if you know you've got a child out there and you didn't do right by him. Right. Mm. No one will ever know that, but I know you know. Mm. And, I, and, I've, and I've heard men, you know, I've heard men that have, that have said, man, my greatest regret in life was not fostering that relationship. And guess what? If you have that conversation with that man in the mirror, you can you can avoid that. There'll be some other issues that you come across, but that's the number one advice. The other stuff, you'll figure it out. Yeah. You'll figure it out. But what no one what no one what no one can figure out but you is am I gonna am I I gonna be present? Mm -hmm. Be present, be proactive, make it happen. That's what's up. Ladies and gentlemen, David Lewis, everybody, appreciate you, man. 
It was so good having this conversation. Before Mm -hmm. I let you go, I know you mentioned, you know, you have a radio show uh, and the other things you do. Can you just give any of your, like your social media handles and just kind of where people can support you, find you all that good stuff. Okay. Let me give you, let me give you my email and uh, send me email. It's D Lewis, D L E W I S at children's home and aid. That's C H I L D R E N S home and aid.org. And the zoom ID number, if somebody wants it, it's, it's uh, on Thursday, five 30 to six 30, join me virtually on zoom. That zoom ID is nine, one, four, six, six, two, three, five, seven, zero, eight. I repeat it. Nine, one, four, six, six, Two three five seven zero eight. Come join us. I mean, man, we'd love to have you on it. I mean, you know, anybody that's interested and you just want to get some information. Uh, there's no fee. Uh, no one's selling anything. The mm. only thing we're doing is giving out world and life changing uh uh information and of course i'm on facebook uh uh and i'm on twitter you know so you can go to facebook find me d lewis and uh uh uh, name my consulting business lewis consulting group inc there's a facebook uh, uh handle on that and uh i think my twitter account is uh lou uh Lou speaks for you. Go to Facebook. You'll find it. You know, <laughs> folks can find you when they want to find you. <laughs> they can find you. They can find you for can sure. You. No, yeah. thank you so much, man. This has been Amen. great. And uh, of course, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Again, this is Lim Gonzalez, a.k.a. Saint. Until we speak again, God bless and take care. Colors of Fatherhood is produced by Josh Rodriguez and Saintly Productions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share with all your family and friends. Please remember to follow us on social media at Stay on the Mic and at Colors of Fatherhood. And for all your booking needs, please visit www.stayonthemic.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next episode.